Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Rebecca Harrison with me. Rebecca is a sexologist and relationship therapist who specializes with working with queer, kinky, and non-monogamous folk. Rebecca is a sex positive therapist who works with individuals and couples to help her clients communicate more openly with each other and themselves so they can pursue the type of sex or romantic life they want. Rebecca is a friend of mine and a colleague and I'm thrilled to have her here with me today. Rebecca, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Hi, Becky. Yes. Um, So I think what brought me to this work really was sex education. Um, I found it very limited. um, And I think um, sex education is something that I'm really passionate about. And when you don't have dedicated sex educators in schools, it can fall to teachers. They're maybe already kind of incredibly overworked. They're trying to pack this sort of comprehensive sex education into an hour. Um, For an incredibly long time, we didn't discuss consent, healthy relationships or pleasure. Those were completely absent. Um, And sex education in schools sort of focuses on this very narrow definition of what sex is um, and who people are. And if you fall outside of that definition, um, that can leave you feeling very overwhelmed and confused. Um, And so that was kind of the, the context of sex education that I had. And then I knew that I wanted to come into this work because I wanted to help change that. So providing adults with the sex education and the help that they need to pursue the sex life that they want. Mm, That's awesome. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the narrative of the one and how we're socialized into monogamy. Rebecca, can you please kick us off by telling the listeners your thoughts around this topic? Yeah, so narrative of the one. So the one is the idea that you are meant to be with one person, that perfect partner that you will share love and sex with. So it's the idea that you have another half and that there is someone out there who can complete you as if we're half a person up until then. And once you find that one person, you will be happy. Um, This idea is really romanticized in children's books, uh, films and television. Um, Disney particularly, they've built their entire brand around that idea. And it continues into adulthood. So in the media that we consume, it's often used to sell us things. Um, It's in the music we listen to. And it's also a life plan. So something we talk about in sex and relationship therapy is the relationship escalator. So the idea behind that is that you meet someone, um, you date them for a while, then you move in together, then you get married, then you have children. And if you do all of these things, then you will achieve happiness. So it's kind of once you take the first step on that escalator, you're on that road and it only has one destination. Um, So we're in a culture where monogamy, that's the dominant narrative. Uh, We're socialized into monogamy. We practice it from a young age and throughout our teenage years and adulthood but the research suggests that 50% of us cheat on our partners. So this idea of the one is there. We're socialized into monogamy, but actually half of us aren't very good at it. Um, We have affairs, sexual affairs, romantic affairs, emotional affairs. Um, So half of us are having affairs, um, trying to keep secrets from our partner. And the reason of this is because of this single idea, this the one idea. Um, But that single idea is just a thing that we created and it evolved because of um, 
Christianity and religion and land ownership and actually a whole load of different factors that don't really apply to a lot of us anymore. So we're socialized into monogamy, but half of us kind of suck at it, um, but we're persisting with it because that's just the way it is. Um, but we're also socialized to be a bunch of different things, right? Um, just off the top of my head, be heterosexual, um, be cisgender, have a career, raise a family, even though there's a whole load of people that don't believe or want these things or those things don't apply to them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that makes sense, right? It would be weirder if we did all want exactly the same things. Um, and monogamy is just the same. So this idea of the one is just an idea. And if you don't like it or you don't feel that it fits with you, then you might be non-monogamous. Um, so I want to tell uh, you a little bit about non-monogamy. Non-monogamy is actually a blanket term and that's used to describe relationships that involve more than two people. Um, polyamory, um, relationship anarchy and open relationships are all examples of non-monogamy where people have or have the desire for more than one sexual or romantic partner. And ethical non-monogamy means that everyone involved consents to the relationship, which makes it different from affairs in monogamy. Um, and so non-monogamy is about creating an idea and a model of a relationship that fits with you, rather than trying to fit yourself into someone else's idea of a relationship. Um, it's also about allowing yourself the freedom of romantic and sexual expression, however you want, with whoever you want, and showing your attraction, intimacy, emotional connection, platonic affection, romantic love and commitment to your partners in what you do rather than what you stop yourself from doing. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of, the, that's that narrative of the one that's socialized into monogamy and um, a little bit of an overview of non-monogamy. So what I really love about non-monogamy is it can take so many different forms like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And it can be a really good expression for people who want to have sex or romantic relationships with people of the gender that their partner isn't as mm -hmm. well as for asexual folk. So for example, mm -hmm. um, if someone is asexual and they're in a relationship, maybe they don't want to be having sex with their partner. And if their partner has other partners that they can fulfill that need, then that can just make everyone feel a little bit more calm. Mm -hmm. So it's so individualized for the person, the couple or the groups of people. Mm -hmm. And um, that asexuality kind of idea is um, just, I'm going to pull that out a little bit and talk about it because this idea that non-monogamy is um, about sex mm. and it's that's just a myth it isn't it's about well it can be about anything that you want it to be about essentially people that practice non-monogamy it doesn't revolve around sex it can be about romance it can be about platonic affection it can be about emotional connection so asexual people gray sexual people are just as able to be non-monogamous as people who do practice sex yeah I love that and I think it is all about getting your needs met, right? And you might have three different partners, maybe none of whom you're having sex with, but you share other things with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really mm -hmm. love about it. Do you think you could tell the listeners a bit more about what different types of non-monogamy could look like? Um, okay, so there are a number of different terms that um, people use when they're talking about non-monogamy. Um, essentially kind of shorthand that people... Um, can use to talk to each other about what they're into, the kind of non-monogamy that they're doing, but they might all meet in different things for different people. Um, so you have polyamory, that's um, where people may have or have the desire for multiple sexual and or 
romantic partners. Um, open relationships, that's where people have or have a desire for multiple sexual partners. Um, you have um, relationship anarchy. That's um, a way of practicing um, polyamory. It's sort of a, ra a radical dismantling of power and privilege within all relationships. So you're rejecting all hierarchies and social relationships, including romantic, sexual, and platonic relationships, and usually not categorizing partners as distinct from friends. Um, you have almost the opposite of that, which is hierarchical non-monogamy, which is um, a model that does distinguish different relationships, um, sometimes using terms like primary or secondary to describe a current level of attachment and engagement with each partner. Um, you've got triads, which is three people in a relationship. A closed triad means that those three people don't have other romantic or sexual partners outside of themselves. Uh, an open triad means that they do. Um, and Similarly, polyfidelity, that's um, a group of people having multiple sexual or romantic partners, but don't have sexual or romantic partners outside of that group. Um, then you've also got terms like BDSM, non-monogamy. So that's where people may have or have the desire for multiple play partners when exploring kinks and fetishes. So, and, and some people will disagree with those definitions, right? That's um, really, really subjective and what means relationship anarchy for one person will not mean what relationship anarchy is for another. Polyamory will mean something different for each person. Um, and that's just the nature of non-monogamy. It's a very diverse sort of group. It's a very diverse way of um, doing relationships. And it's about finding a relationship style and relationship model that works for you, rather than it being about um, taking a model and trying to fit yourself inside it. Yeah, I love that. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how um, a little bit earlier on in the podcast, you mentioned about how the media has helped shape monogamy and how that's kind of a lot of people grow up with thinking that's the only option because that's all they see. When I've realized recently that they are starting in Hollywood to bring out more polyamorous and consensual non-monogamy groupings in the media. However, sometimes this is still not in a positive light. And there's some sort sure. of issue and problem. Is this something that you have witnessed as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, the media that I'm aware of, um, I know that there was a show that came out on Netflix a few years ago now called You Me Her. Mm -hmm. um, that was um, kind of presented as the first polyamorous um, TV show, a polyamorous drama. Um, it's presents this sort of narrow view of polyamory, which is much more closely linked to that triad that I was talking about earlier. Um, the characters are more in a three-person relationship rather than um, practicing polyamory, which is um, not uh, slightly more open than closed, I think, by definition. But um, there is kind of a, a danger, I think, although those kinds of media, we are sort of getting hints of them. We're getting one single version of um, non-monogamy, which is um, often white, often uh, two people in a couple who are opening up the relationship. There's not much representation of single people pursuing non-monogamy, which is a, a valid route that people go into non-monogamy from, um, able-bodied and cisgender. And um, again, the, the sexualities of the kind of media that you get in, in polyamorous TV shows and things like that tend to be um, a heterosexual man and a bisexual queer woman um, dating or negotiating dating with another bisexual queer woman. Um, the issue with that, I think, is it can be quite alienating for um, people who 
as I said before, asexual, gray sexual, where then sex isn't a part of that relationship, where there's very little trans representation um, at the moment. Also, again, with that able-bodied um, kind of stereotype, the couple that's opening up the relationship, there's, I think because, um, because there isn't a lot of representation, it's almost we're getting this sort of first representation of, of what non-monogamy can look like. Um, and unfortunately we just need more and people who are non-monogamous do deserve to see themselves and be able to watch TV shows and media where they're represented just as monogamous people are. Yeah. And there's a few really great books for people who are thinking about um, changing into this way of life or considering just learning more about it. Do you have any other recommendations or book recommendations for people? Mm, for sure. Um, my favorite book on this subject would be The Ethical Slut. Um, I think it's now in its third edition, mm. um, could be second. Um, and that book um, is very, again, it's by um, two uh, psychotherapists, um, to my knowledge. Um, I think one psychotherapist um, and one writer. I'd literally read it this week. That's, <laughs> ah, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Janet and Dossie, I think yes. their names are. And um, they do look at different forms of non-monogamy. It's one of the better texts that I've found for kind of capturing the diversity of um, what non-monogamy can look like to different people. Um, so yeah, I definitely would recommend that one if you're looking to uh, find out more about this kind of um, relationship model. Great. So I'm just going to pull back on something you mentioned earlier, which is the fact that so many people in monogamous relationships stray. And sure. I'm wondering, why do you think society is stuck to this idea of the one, even mm -hmm. though many people do stray and um, inherently people find it really difficult? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a really good question. You have to remember that monogamy really is absolutely everywhere. Um, we have learned it from such a young age. It's challenging something like that and saying, actually, this isn't working for me it can be really terrifying for people. Um, and add to that, we're used to the idea of non-consensual non-monogamy or affairs, but we're taught to feel shame about them. And shame is an incredibly powerful feeling. It's there to stop us from doing something that could alienate us from our communities. So you have this environment that's overwhelmingly monogamous, your family and friends are likely monogamous. And although half of us are having affairs and we're not talking about them, um, we feel shame about the fact that we are having them. Um, and add to the, that, that the um, thing that you just said about um, representations, the way that alternatives are presented are fairly derisive. You hear about people who swing, people in open relationships, polyamorous people. It's either mocked or stereotyped or it's very sens sensationalized. And the reality is that um, many non-monogamous people are just going about their lives in the same way that monogamous people are. They're not all having back-to-back -back orgies or running away from commitment or whatever this, <laughs> like stereotype you want to throw at it. They're just going to work, raising families, <laughs> studying, walking the dog, like, and also have the desire for multiple partners. And I'm sure some of the listeners who are in monogamous relationships or are single and tend to have monogamous relationships are thinking about jealousy, right? And they're thinking, sure. well, all sounds great in theory, but how, <laughs> you know, I would be jealous as hell. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering why do you think people shy away from this feeling? Because at the end of the day, jealousy is a feeling, like everything mm -hmm. else it is just an emotion. And yeah, so how can people 
why do people shy away from it? And then how can people work on that in a positive way? Mm -hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right. So one of the first things that comes up, um, particularly in therapy, when I'm talking to a client about non-monogamy is jealousy. Um, I could never see my partner with another partner. I'd be too jealous, etc. So jealousy is a feeling that we have all experienced at some point or another. And it's often present in monogamous narratives. So it's often used in film and TV as a vehicle for drama. It's a really great way to move plots along, right? Throw some jealousy in there. It's going to be really relatable. And it's depicted in a way that illustrates it as unbearable. So the character that feels jealous is often going to be motivated to act on the basis of their jealousy. Um, or a person will try to trigger jealousy in uh, another person intentionally to incite them into doing something. So the issue with this is we've almost weaponized an emotion. Um, and it's left us with the belief that jealousy is used to manipulate. And it's always about the other person. You have made me jealous, and so you must change your behavior. Um, the truth is that we feel jealous all the time outside of romantic relationships. And we often don't make the other person change their behavior as a result of that. <laughs> so we feel jealous in platonic relationships and professional relationships. And most of us would never dream of going up to our boss and telling them that their new car is making us jealous and they have to take it back to the dealer. Like, but in romantic relationships, may, maybe because of the way that jealousy is used in film and TV, it gets a pass. But as you said, you're absolutely right. Jealousy is just a feeling like sadness and anger or any other emotion that feels uncomfortable. And just like these other emotions, the key to jealousy is to process and communicate it. And so when we start doing that, often we can find that the jealous feeling is pointing to something else. So if you were in a non-monogamous relationship and you felt jealous of your partner's new partner, for example, it might be that what you're actually experiencing is insecurity. And these insecurities are often about yourself, not the person that you feel jealous of. So there could be concern that your partner might leave you, for example, or that they aren't attracted to you. And those can be communicated to your partner and talked about. And you can actually ask how they feel rather than just assuming how they feel. And just like any other feeling, sitting with and reflecting on your jealousy, it just allows you to discover what's really happening for you. What is it that you're actually scared of or what do you need from your partner? I think that's so important um, that it's about you and not about them. And mm -hmm. I'm someone who has struggled a lot with jealousy in my life with with partners and mm -hmm. it was only when I started therapy so I've been in therapy for like four maybe five years now that mm -hmm. I have worked on it and it's not because my husband is now doing other things it's because I've worked on myself so mm -hmm. I think that's such an important point mm. and it's so true I think that often the issues that we have with our partners can point to issues that we have in ourselves yeah. and it's a really classic technique to be like, oh, I feel vulnerable or I feel defensive and I'm going to make this about you rather than actually reflecting on what's happening for me and thinking about what's coming up here. Um, it's a lot easier and a lot more unhealthy to kind of put that on somebody else. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Kind of looking at your jealousy and reflecting on it and actually saying, what is this pointing me to? What is it that I need right now for my partner? That can actually be really valuable. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm just trying to put my head in what the listeners will be thinking now. And hmm. I reckon there'll be some thoughts about, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> feeling jealous, being insecure, working on myself. Mm -hmm. um, 
all that stuff, that's a lot of work. So why would people want to open up their relationships? I know mm. we briefly talked about this earlier, um, but yeah, what, what are the benefits? Mm. I mean, there's such a wide range of reasons, but the ultimately the main one is that you find the idea of multiple relationships appealing. So just like you said earlier, Becky, it could be that you're in a mixed orientation relationship, asexual, gray sexual with a sexual person, or maybe you're in a long distance relationship and want to agree to have other partners alongside. Um, maybe you want to have sexual relationships with others with your current partner. Um, equally, you can be in a completely sexually compatible relationship, living together um, and want to be non-monogamous. If it's something that you want for yourself, that's a valid reason. And it's some people want to be non-monogamous because they feel that it's the relationship model that suits them. And um, yeah, I think the, the idea of it being a lot of work, there, there is truth to that. And my answer to that would be, show me a relationship that isn't work. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the best and I think the healthiest relationships, um, particularly that I've seen in therapy, uh, partners that are really willing to reflect on themselves, partners that are communicating about what they need in the relationship, actually talking about their anxieties, their insecurities, talking about what they want for the future. That's just as present in monogamy as it is in non-monogamy. I think it's just we kind of rest on this idea that everyone in monogamy might want the same thing. So there is, I guess there is more work in that sense in that you, um, if you are thinking about non-monogamy, you might have to talk about some stuff that you're not used to talking about. Um, ultimately, I think more communication and relationships wherever you land with what you want that relationship to look like is only going to be a good thing. So this is what I like to call the monogamy code. And for those of you who are in monogamous relationships, this could be a really great way to practice that communication that we're just talking about. And as Rebecca said, um, it's, what did you say? Now I can't remember <laughs> what you said. <laughs> What did you say? I said something really good. Like everybody's like, wow, that was a it was so good that I immediately now I forgot it. Uh, I think what I I think what I said was that um people who um people assume that in monogamous relationships everybody wants the same thing. Yes. Right. So this is something in which I call the monogamy code. And as Rebecca said, um people assume that people in monogamous relationships are monogamous in the same way. And what I mean by this is you might feel that having sex with someone else is breaking your monogamy. You know, that's an affair, that's cheating. And maybe your partner, you know, probably feels the same about that one. But how far does this go? Are you guys allowed to kiss other people? Are you allowed to sit on other people's laps and hold hands? Are you allowed to flirt with other people? Mm -hmm. Is this purely sexual or are emotional connections okay? How would you feel if your partner was messaging someone um, in the mornings and at nighttime saying goodnight and disclosing um, emotional information to them? And 
you know, this can even go as far as masturbation or porn preferences. Would you feel okay if your partner's watching porn, but if they had a live webcam person on the other end of the computer, would that feel like a betrayal? So it's really worth sitting down and having these conversations. And this is something that myself and my partner did when we first got together. We sat down and we went through our non-negotiables, our negotiables, and where we were with everything. And we were pretty similar, so it was okay. But you might find that you and your partner have completely different ideas about this. And that is what could create some resentment later. And again, everything is boundaries and consent led. So you can still have the choice to hold hands, even if your partner doesn't want you to, but at least you're doing so and knowing how your partner feels about it and not being in the dark. So you can make informed decisions. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to talk about and that um, monogamy code, because um, there is kind of an expectation that people agree before they've actually talked about it and had that conversation. Um, a tool that um, is really useful to use with non-monogamous clients um, or that I found useful is um, rules, boundaries and agreements. Um, so there's quite an easy way of kind of talking about this. Uh, a rule would be um, you cannot eat the cake. Um, that's me imposing a rule. Um, and a boundary would be I do not feel comfortable eating this cake an agreement will be we're going to not eat the cake as in a we mm. and the idea of kind of actually figuring out what is it a rule is something you're setting on other, another person so that's not within your sphere of influence so that's something you're imposing an agreement is something you've decided together a boundary is something that's just within your sphere of influence so you're like actually i don't feel comfortable with this and you're making it about you using those i statements i feel this way about this thing um i feel um uncomfortable about the idea of like either of us kissing another person i feel uncomfortable about the idea of um you sharing that emotional information with a person outside of our relationship um, so trying to find that distinction between rules, um, boundaries and agreements, I think is really useful, whether regardless of the relationship model that you're practicing is actually like, what, are, what is it that you're doing? Are you imposing something on another person or are you setting a boundary for yourself? Or are you agreeing and meeting in the middle? Yeah, I think that's such a great way in, such mm. a great way in. Yeah, so Esther Perel has this idea of the invented third. And I think if you are considering the idea or the possibility of opening up a relationship, this could be a really great way to start. And what she means by an invented third is you can do it in a few ways. One might be to incorporate a made up person if you're having some sort of dirty talk or sexting. So, in, you know, maybe in like the idea of a threesome and this person can be made up and you can see if having that invented third um, can help just to bring a little bit of novelty into your relationship and into your sex life. And also this invented third could look like looking through, looking at your partner through someone else's eyes. So a way that this might manifest is post COVID when we're actually allowed to go out, you know, maybe if we're going to the pub and you see someone looking at your partner and this does something which we call mate guarding. So it might firstly, create some eroticism and arousal, or it might create that kind of jealousy or that defensiveness, defensiveness that we spoke about. But either way, it's a really great way to imagine how is that person seeing my partner? 
what are they looking at? Because, you know, I've just spent a year in the same house with my partner and we haven't been going out. So how they see my partner might be completely different to me. And that might be enough for you. So if these ideas are sounding interesting, but you don't want to take the plunge, then maybe these are some ideas that you can start to toy with. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. The only thing I'd be wary about that if um, if you if you're in that kind of situation with where you are partnered and the two of you are thinking about um, pursuing non-monogamy in whatever form is getting too attached to that idea of the invented third um, mm-hmm. in a real sense, because um, yeah. invented third, great. Imposing the invented third <laughs> on another person, not great. <laughs> um, for, for the for the other person in that situation that can feel very pressured and it can feel like um they are a summation of ideas that that the the couple want or whatever and and that can be very very difficult because um and it's something that um is known as couples privilege in mm. non-monogamy which is this idea that you are the the couple is um in the in the top of the hierarchy so to speak and this other person is coming in whereas that other person has um just as many wants and needs and this sort of rich internal life um then they're entitled to those those feelings just as you are and just as your partner is um but i think what you said becky about that invented third is actually a really lovely way of like you said sort of testing the waters like imagining okay what if that person is looking at my partner how does that make me feel is it pointing to anything that's inside myself so if if there's a there's a big myth about um people who do practice non-monogamy is that they don't get jealous Mm. um it's just not true uh jealousy is a feeling and non-monogamous people experience it just as readily as monogamous people do um if that if what comes up for you is jealousy, you sit with it, see how it feels to sit in that uncomfortable feeling and talk to your partner about it. Um, and being vulnerable in that way is likely to increase that connection between you and your partner. It's not just something you're keeping inside and sitting with and stewing on. It's actually something that you've reflected on and have brought to your partner and been like, oh, I can see that person checking you out over there. It's bringing up these feelings. Um, have the conversation. Yeah, what a beautiful way to get started, to create Mm. that dialogue. And Mm. that invented third of a real person that you spoke about is is what they did in that program. You were also talking about earlier. So at the beginning, (laughs) the original couple, um, and they Mm. were trying to make all these rules and boundaries and basically treating the other person who wasn't in the relationship at the beginning, treating her like she didn't have any wants or needs or any emotions. Mm. And, you know, they did work on it and changed it. But um, I think that is such a valid point and something to be really wary of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's a, another good show that's um, actually a web series that looks at that in a little bit more detail. It's called Unicorn Land. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find it just through a search engine. And they're 10-minute um, instances, and it's from the perspective of um, a woman that's um, looking to date couples and each episode is about another couple that she goes on a date with and I think it does a really good job of illustrating that perspective from the person that's outside coming into the relationship Um, so particularly if that's what you're thinking about I'd really recommend that series because it does kind of let you take a kind of step out of your experience and puts you into the experience of that other person yeah 
So if a couple are considering opening up their relationship and they think they want to get a little bit of extra help, maybe with mm-hmm. you know, sex or relationship therapists like us, mm-hmm. what do you think they should look for in a therapist so they don't get pathologized? And so they have a therapist who actually knows about this stuff because we both mm-hmm. know there's many therapists out there that don't know about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of, I want to say just again is that if you're a single person and you need support and you're pursuing non-monogamy sex and therapy is just a great way of starting to think about that and talk about that um because there is this kind of predominant narrative that it is a couple and they are opening up um so i think sex therapy would be beneficial for individuals as well mm-hmm. um in regard to people looking for a therapist that they won't get pathologized um i'm really happy to answer this question I think the question also needs to be, what can therapists do to make non-monogamous people feel safe and supported in the therapy room? I know this is something you're very passionate about as well. Um, And what they can do is pursue dedicated training, um, ideally from practitioners who are themselves non-monogamous. Understand that clients arrive in this state of hypervigilance because they're having to come out to you. So respect and affirm their model of relationships, just as you respect and affirm a person with a diverse sexuality. Don't expect your client to educate you. Don't attribute their relationship problems to their relationship model. That wouldn't happen with monogamy. So I kind of preface that question with all of that. So if you are a therapist, I'd really take that advice. Um, Unfortunately, you're absolutely right. We do know that non-monogamous folk are pathologized in therapy. Um, What you can do is um, look for people who list non-monogamy on their website as something that they work with. Um, ask prospective therapists what they know about non-monogamy and see what their response is. Um, Ask about their training and whether it included diverse relationships because the majority of courses don't. And I would say also don't settle for a therapist who is going to pathologize. You deserve support that affirms who you are and what you do. I love that last one the most. you're entitled to therapy you're entitled to good healthy therapy that either focuses on non-monogamy if you want it to focus on that or if you're just non-monogamous and you're coming to therapy for another reason you're also entitled to a therapist who isn't going to focus on non-monogamy and make that the reason that you're coming to therapy right and there are so many experiences of non-monogamous people doing this and coming into therapy with that um you like people having to come out and and express to their therapist this is that this is my relationship model and we we know that from a client perspective, it's really difficult to lie about that in the therapy room because you are talking about your relationships. You are talking about your relationship with partners. And also that shouldn't be phenomenal people that they have to lie yeah. in the therapy room to feel safe. They should feel safe as soon as they step into therapy, as safe as any monogamous person who starts working with a therapist. Um, so yeah, I would... I definitely would say to non-monogamous people or people that are pursuing non-monogamy, find, trust your gut and find a person that you feel is going to affirm that and support you and don't settle for anything less. You don't need to. There are people out there that you can, that you can find that are non-monogamy positive, polyamory positive, open relationship positive. Um, yeah. They are out there. Find them. (laughs) Yes, find them. Two of them are here. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that should be the takeaway. If you have a therapist who you don't like, stop seeing them. Go and see someone else. Go and see someone else. There are are many. There are many out there. Um, Yeah, I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. 
So Rebecca, where can the listeners find you? So um, you can contact me um, through my contact form on my website, which is uh, rebeccaharrisontherapy.co.uk. You can also find me on the counselling directory and on Psychology Today. Um, or if you want to just email me directly, it's hi at rebeccaharrisontherapy.co.uk. Um, drop me an email. Um, I offer a 15 minute consultation for free. Brilliant. I'm going to pop all of that in the show notes pages. And yeah, it was awesome to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Becky.